Okay, and like we do, we, we start this portion with this prayer from Revelation. Uh, and it, it's a prayer that's guiding us through our entire study in Revelation. And so, um, and honestly, I think you'll see today that uh, like a lot of what we're doing here is just filtered through this prayer. So let's pray it and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it and then, uh, and then we'll get going. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Blessed are the reader, hearers, and keepers of this word. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary, the tent of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels with seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You guys may be seated. I love having new folks here. So welcome, sir. Uh, especially being in Revelation because this stuff is just chocked full of wrath and this is like my least favorite topic in the world and so it's always it's always it's always interesting but today as we begin in the seven bowls of wrath that is going to be poured out bowls that were handed by God to these angels and it's the punishment that gets poured out on all who have resisted God in his ways And even after being given several, several chances for repentance over and over, we've seen this theme where God's God brings something to bring people to him and many people come to him. But then there's just a a remnant that just resists God wholeheartedly and just wants to not be around him forever. And this punishment is for those who refuse to accept God's rule and reign. And they do this uh, on their own. And up to this point, um, if, if we've seen the story and we followed the story, not only the story of Revelation, but the story of history to this point, God has been very good and very patient. We have to remember this as we get into it, that his patience is, um, was given to us so that all might recognize and know and accept who God truly is because God wants to be revealed for who he truly is. He's tried to reveal himself over and over and so that we can see it that he is the king above all kings and he is the Lord above all lords. I love that in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says let, that God lets us know that um, his wishes are that all may come to repentance. The Bible also has plenty, plenty of stories, though, of people who have rejected the clearest evidence of God and they've said no. They've just said no. They, they've seen that God is God and they're like, no, I'm still going to resist him. I'm going to still put him in an arm, arm's length. They've resisted faith. They've resisted even logic and reason, which some of the times God works outside those things to, to win our hearts. But sometimes he just uses straight up logic and reason. And they deny God and their desire is not to worship God or Jesus, his son. And in this is one of the last scenes we see in Revelation. Actually, it's a continuation. We'll be here for a few weeks, but uh, it's one of the last scenes we see in Revelation. We see the finishing of human history as we know it in, the, in these coming weeks. And we can see here in Revelation 15, the seven angels and the seven plagues. 
The number seven all throughout the book of Revelation is the number of completion. So with these angels and with these plagues, it will be complete. This is how things will wrap up at the end of times. And in our study of Revelation, though, I've said repeatedly that the end times seem to be like they're always been going on, right? Like there are some people that think that Revelation was written about uh, Rome and it was, but then all sorts of other different time periods uh, along the way. But there's also this thing where it's looking to the future And so there are times when we have to deal with, like, this is going to happen in the end. Like, another way is saying that, that um, this will be, there will be an end, like a stop to human history as we know it. And in the end, heaven, uh, there will be heaven and God's reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Time will be up. So will sickness and sadness and death and dying and disease will be up. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And this is a promise that God's given us and his promise is true and it will come to pass. And we can take um, great strength and have great faith in that. And as we saw last week, the song of Moses that was in a collection of Moses's sayings were in Revelation, the first part of Revelation chapter 15. We see another strong uh, Reference to Moses here with the tent of witness. The tent was a prominent place after the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt and they went out and they would have been in the desert and they would have been camping along the way um, to the promised land that God has for them. It kind of sounds like revelation, right? Like you've got all this, God's saying he's going to free his people. There's a lot of like hardship along the way, but yet at the same time, there's a way that he's set up that we can meet with him. And I believe that um, John, in writing down this detail, that we are supposed to be drawn back in our memory to Exodus and think about the tent of meeting where Moses used to go. Exodus 33, 7 through 11 says this, and this is where it tells about that, that tent of meeting. Let me, let me read this for us. See if you can see any relation to what we read in Revelation. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off, from the camp and he called it the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp whenever Moses went out of the tent all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent then Moses entered the tent the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses And when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And we see this tent of meeting. The tent of meeting is where God met with his people. Moses met with God face to face like you would a friend. Like over coffee with God. That would be pretty cool. It would. Uh, Josiah agrees. Amen to that. And this is... Hey, Johnny. How are you, bud? Uh, Johnny's our friend that we made in Yellowstone. So he's FaceTiming us right now. Um, this, this time we can see that God, that God had promised that he would dwell with his people. 
And then he does that in the form of this tent of meeting. And we can, when we think about this, we can think about his presence being represented by this cloud. This cloud in Revelation, this cloud in, uh, in Exodus, we can see it. And we can see that the meeting it, it, time is a time of reverence and power, a time of worship. Uh, it's not something that happens willy-nilly like it seems to be. You know, Moses is walking out. Everybody spreads the rumor through camp that they're going to go out and they're going to watch and they're going to worship God. It's a very, very powerful, life-changing moment. Not just for Moses, but all those who have inquiry and questions as well. Later on in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse, uh, uh, in chapters 5 through 7, we see that Solomon built a temple. We see he was a king of Israel. They, they finally got into the promised land and they'd gone through a bunch of other stuff, but they finally built a temple. And the glory of God and this cloud that represents God's glory filled the temple as well. So when we're thinking back to what John said about this cloud of witness and, and then being in these places, we think about the places where people met to meet with God and God's meeting with his people. This is, in Second Chronicles, this is one more piece of history that we might think about when we read Revelation. This time we can see that God had promised that these people would go into the, the promised land and he would dwell with them there, and he does it. His promises are true. And we see the fulfillment of this prophet promise. And we can see that in God's presence, his words will be fulfilled. And promises will come to pass. They don't always come in our timing. And I have to say praise the Lord to that, to correct my own heart, to get my heart to believe that. But they do come to pass. In 2 Chronicles 5, 13b uh, through 14, they say this, and when a song raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So John's reference to the tent of meeting should make us think of the place where uh, God's glory and presence dwells. The, and, where God, uh, and where God's presence dwells here on earth, that's where God likes to meet with mankind. The tent of meeting is where the people got their direction. The temple is where they got their direction. They confessed their sins. And, and, and in confessing their sin, they were mending their broken relationship with God. They were trying to fix this that was once patchy, was made whole again. And when we are in God's presence, we are meant to feel small, but not like small and unloved or small and squashable, but we are meant to feel small in an honest way in the presence of God, in God's largeness and his power. God meets with and leads his people because he loves to meet with his people. That's why we ask before every service, God, will you just meet with us? As we meet with you, will you meet with us? Will you come and change us? He loves to lead us to guide us. He loves to fulfill his promises to us. Amen. This leads us as we're thinking and we're reading this section in Revelation chapter 15. This leads us to Jesus where we can see this, that God wants to dwell with us most easily. In fact, the name Emmanuel given to Jesus means God with us means that God was here. But in John chapter four, there was a Samaritan woman who got into a theological conversation with Jesus. 
about where the presence of God is and how do we worship him. And she, through a series of events, realized that Jesus was a pretty clever guy. He was at least a prophet. So she gathered that much about Jesus. So she thought it would be a good time to ask her question about God's presence on earth. Now, Samaritans were people who claimed to be from the 12 tribes of Israel and worship the same God, but they, they were outsiders. They couldn't worship in the same place. They couldn't worship in the same place as the Jews. The Jews wouldn't have allowed it. They would have been like, nah, you're kind of like a little bit less than, you're kind of like a, a mutt breed, if you will, something like that. And so you don't, they didn't entirely fit. They were not respected and they were not honored. And they were honestly, for a good self-respecting Jewish person at that time, they were to be avoided. They were to be avoided. And Jesus, being a Jewish man, especially him being a man, he was not supposed to associate with this Samaritan woman at all. And yet, because Jesus is Jesus and he is awesome, he does. And he did. He meets with her and she asks his questions about the difference in Samaritan, the way that different the Samaritans and the Jews worship and where they worship and the presence of God is the essence of her question. And Jesus in John chapter four, I'm going to read uh, verse 20 through 26 says this. Our, uh, this, is, this is the woman. Our father worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jerusalem's where the temple was. That was where the temple of God came and filled his glory. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. So the, this idea of the Messiah is that the Messiah would come, the one who is called the Christ, that he would come, that he would set things straight, that he would do this. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. This is what the woman says. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus here was answering this woman's question by, pre by claiming that he was the presence of God come to meet man on earth. Those who worship in spirit and truth, those who want the presence of God will come to Jesus to be in God's presence. We will come there. Um, so you can see there that, that you see the tent of meeting, you see the temple. And we don't have the tent meeting. We don't have the temple. We don't live in those regions. But you know what we do have? We do have Jesus. All the proof that God wants to meet with us in the man, Jesus Christ. And this is where uh, our mind should be as we read this scripture. Our mind should be firstly rooted on Jesus as we get into these seven bowls of wrath. When we meet with God or when God meets with us, his glory and his power will be revealed. We meet with God, and with God, we have eyes to see, we have ears to hear, we will see the holiness of God, and our holiness that we think we're trying to muster up or get will pale in comparison, praise God. And our power will fail to meet up to God's power, and our glory that we like to take for ourselves will just not be as glorious. We get to see this in humility, but with a strong encouragement. Again, not to crush us, but to lift us up because we have known 
and been known by God and he sees us and he knows us and he says, I love you. This is something that only God can do. In all his power and glory and holiness, he has seen fit to bestow on us his love and rescue us like he did the Israelites from safety to meet with us, not in a place, but in a man, Jesus. And he still wants to meet with us. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will see power. We'll see wonder-working power in Jesus, miracle-creating power, not just in the Bible, but in the lives of each other and in our own lives, the power to raise people from death to life. This is the power to forgive sins and change our hearts. And while, while we fixate on Jesus, we will see God's glory in that. Glory that comes from his death on a cross. Glory that comes from his burial. And glory that comes from his resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead and is seated with God in glory. A glory that is revealed and it is awesome to marvel at. And every time we look at it, we can see it in a new light. His ways, Jesus' ways in our life and in scriptures are full of glory. We see his holiness, his perfection in living life. And this gift of holiness that he um, not only lived out and, and earned in a sense, he gives it to us freely because of his grace. This in the here and now should encourage us. I pray that it encourages us to, to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been received. As Jesus calls us loved, we can live as loved. As Jesus says forgiven, we can live like we're forgiven. By the way, living as forgiven means that we forgive others. Amen. We have the privilege of seeing with open eyes and hearts that God is God of all. And when we realize that, we can start to see how much work God is actually doing in and through this world. And that it's not our work, it's not our own means, it's not our own strength, but God doing things. I say we get to start to realize because I don't think we can see the full extent of it. We can only see the beginning of it. But when we start to see the work of, that God is doing, we start to give him all the credit and stop taking credit for our own or trying to give it to somebody else or, or something else because God is at work always. God may use people and we can be super thankful for that. But all the power and the glory are due his name and none of it is ours. So all the good works that we have is a grace from God. All the good works that have done been done for us are a grace of God. The presence of God in our life changes us. It humbles us and it leaves us desiring more of God's perfect presence in our lives. Think about a time when you've met with Jesus. What has it done for you? How has it sustained you through hard times? We change when we meet with Jesus face to face as a friend. Like when we meet with friends, we get to meet with Jesus in the same way. I don't think this is easy because it's not a, like a back and forth like, like you may have with your friends. But when we start seeing conversations that Jesus wants to have with us and conversations that we have with friends, start giving the glory back to God. This is a beautiful thing. We can meet with Jesus. This is a grace that we get to do this. He gets to change us. This is a grace that he gives us. When we meet with him, we will be humbled. Amen. By the cloud of his presence, it is a cloud that is full of power and glory, power that is beyond us, glory that is beyond us. And yet we are invited 
to bask in Jesus' life and his death and resurrection. And I love that he speaks to us like a friend. But just like in order to maintain a relationship, we get to make time for it and to treasure the times that we get. And I pray that we might make time for it. Being apart from God's presence is the real punishment. I think about these people in Revelation chapter 15, being apart from God's punishment, having that sealed off until these seven bowls are, are, are finished. The fact that no one can enter the meeting place of God is a real loss because he wants to meet with his people. Those of us who have met with Jesus and experienced his friendship and his grace and his love know that the absence of that is very difficult. It's sad, actually. It's a sad thing when we're not in God's presence. God's presence is such a gift, and I'd hate to see it come to an end. And good things that he promised that it will never come to his end, and he's shown us over and over and again that he will be faithful. So before we get into the seven bowls of God's wrath, let us have our eyes fixed on Jesus. His glory and his power are unapproachable. And he extends his hand to us over and over again, inviting us to repentance, inviting us to follow him. And the passages have had to come uh, to him, uh, these the passages to come in chapter 16 and 17, I've seen over the years uh, be used to create a tremendous amount of fear, like fear of hell, fear of tribulation, fear of hard times. And I believe that they have been used incorrectly because this text is trying to set our minds on Christ, not on the fear that's to come, not on the seven bowls of wrath. The the seven bowls of wrath will show us that the end will come, but we get to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And once we see these things with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will be able to see them through the light of his glory and his power and his grace. And just as if he was absent from us, we'd long to be in his presence. This is my simple prayer for us as a church. Let us draw near to him and he will not deny us entry at his feet. So Jesus, we thank you for your presence here on earth. Lord, we thank you that you came to be with us. Lord, we thank you that uh, we don't have to go to the tent of meeting or go to Moses and then he goes to the tent of meeting. Thank you that we don't have to go to the temple. Lord, I thank you that you have provided friends that speak to Jesus about us. And Lord, I think I'm thankful that you provided Jesus. Thankful that you provided just this beautiful picture of glory and power and love for us. Lord, may we come to repentance and know you more because of this. May we be encouraged to live out our faith as we even step into the next little bit of the seven bowls of wrath, Lord, may we um, not be afraid, but find you and find your presence in these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen.